Amen, amen. You can be seated, amen. I do not have them with me. I was going to show them, but I guess I left them outside. I do want to remind you that we have uh, tracks available for you to, uh, you can get those out there either on the kiosk or on the wall across from the kiosk in the little containers. I want to encourage you to get a couple of those, use those, give those out, and you go out to eat, invite people to church. Uh, even if they can't attend, if they don't, not comfortable attending, they can still watch the services online. But above all, we want to make sure that people in the community know that there's a place they can go, that there's a church that cares about them, that loves them, that's praying for them, and so I invite you to do that. Uh, Genesis chapter 24 this morning. Turn this morning. Turn to Genesis chapter 24 this morning. All right. Uh, last week we talked about a preview of Calvary. All right? We talked about the fact the Old Testament is God's picture book. It, it has shadows or images or hints of what's to come, and and we don't want to push that too far. We don't. If you try and force the Old Testament to exactly picture things in it, it's not going to work. It's not going to fit. Give you an example. Last week we talked about the fact that. Uh, the word that was used for Isaac was the word lad. I and the lad will go yonder. Now, we don't know how old Isaac was, uh, but it's interesting that the word that's used there is the word in the Old Testament that could have represented a fully grown man. And so whether or not uh, Isaac himself was still a child or teenager, or as I think, probably much older, uh, at least in his 20s, the fact is that that's a preview of uh, a thousand plus years later when Jesus would take his cross up Calvary and die for our sins. And so it's interesting. And then we also talked about the fact that it never says in the Bible that the sacrifice took place on Mount Moriah. It says, in the land of Moriah, in the mountain that I will show thee of. And we said that the fact that, that the land of Moriah goes right up to the edge of the land of Israel, or all of Israel, right up to the point of being visible to Zion, or the city of Jerusalem, the holy city, which would include a little hill just outside of Jerusalem that we know as Golgotha, the place where Jesus was crucified. Now, I don't know whether or not the sacrifice, the, the incident between Abraham and Isaac took place on Golgotha, but I know, based on studying the Word of God, or say with a great deal of confidence, that Isaiah or that, that, that Abraham could at least see Calvary from the place where he was asked to offer Isaac. And God is always pointing us forward. He's always looking. He's always giving us these beautiful, wonderful clues. With that in mind, I want to look at Genesis chapter 24 this morning, and here's the title of my message. Here comes the bride. <laughs> Amen? Here comes the bride. In Genesis chapter 24, we have a beautiful picture of how Abraham takes his choice servant and sends him out with an incredible task to now go and find a bride for his son, Isaac. And in this chapter uh, are all kinds of beautiful pictures of the bride that is yet to come or the bride that is being formed even today when we think about the church. So I don't want to, uh, and we got, we got a lot of information. I don't know what we're going to share. I'm going to have to leave this one up. The Holy Spirit's going to have to be really clear. I'm going to have to listen on purpose. You're going to have to listen on purpose. If you'll listen on purpose, I'll preach on purpose and maybe we'll get through this. Amen. But there's a lot in this chapter. Genesis chapter 24, outside of Psalm 119, is the longest chapter in the Bible. And I think it's interesting that the longest chapter in the Bible is reserved to tell the story of how, uh, of how a man got his bride. Well, that's interesting, amen? <laughs> well, we'll leave that one alone. All right, let's start reading Genesis chapter. I want to read, we'll see, might read the whole chapter. I'm going to try and skip some. It's a big chapter, as I said. I want to read through this, make some comments, and then I've got a few things I want to share with us. We're going to go quickly. If we don't finish, we don't finish. We'll see. We'll just, we're just going to let the Spirit lead, which is always a good idea. Amen? 
Especially since the sermon we're looking at this morning actually talks about letting the Spirit lead. Probably a good idea to practice what I preach. Amen? All right, good. All right, Genesis chapter 24, verse 1. And Abraham was old and well stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife unto thee, uh, unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But thou shalt go unto my country and my kindred and take a wife unto my son Isaac. And the servant said, uh, Perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me into this land. Must I need bring thy son again unto the land from whence you came? And Abraham said unto him, Beware that thou bring not my son thither again. The Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and which spoke unto me and swore unto me, saying, Unto your seed will I give this land. He shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. And if the woman will not be willing to follow thee, then you shall be clear from this my oath. Only do not bring my son thither again. There's a veil and an echo taking place here. We've already had the sacrifice. We've already had that incident between Abraham. and The son is now back at home with his father and all is well. And so it's interesting that Abraham repeatedly makes reference to the fact that this is not now the, the time for the son to go back into that country, but this is the time for you to go into that country and bring the bride back to my son. Boy, that's loaded and powerful. And so the Bible says that in verse 10, the servant took ten camels of his master and departed for all the goods of his master were in his hand. And he arose and he went to Mesopotamia under the city of Nahor. And he made his camels kneel down without the city by a well of water at the time of the evening, even the time that women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my Master Abraham, behold, I stand here by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water. Let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, let down your pitcher, I pray thee that I may drink, and she shall say, drink, and I will give thy camels drink also. Let the same be, be she that you have appointed for thy servant Isaac, and thereby shall I know that thou hast showed kindness unto my master. Now, so we're going to stop there and we're going to, we're going to kind of jump through this. In verse 12, the servant refers to my master, uh, my master Abraham. Nineteen times in this passage, the servant uses that phrase, my master. It's almost as if the servant's excited about the fact that he serves Abraham. And he, he, he doesn't hesitate to acknowledge that he is just the servant. And he does it by referring to his master, my master, 19 times, in fact. Now, in verse 32, jump down to verse 32, and uh, it says, the man came into the house, and now if the, we skipped a lot because he, he goes, and, 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 and Rebecca shows up, and she draws water, draws water, camp, everything happens. He says, can I go back to your house? Where do you dwell? And so now uh, he's gone back with her, uh, and in verse 32, it says, the man came into the house, and he ungirded his camels, he gave straw, and and, uh, and provender for the camels and water to wash his feet and the men's feet that were with him. And there was set meat before him to eat. And he said, I will not eat until I've told my errand. And he said, speak on. So now he's talking to her father. And he said, I am, there it is again, Abraham's servant. 
And so in verse 32 through 37, he's going to relate the claims of his master. He's going to share with Rebecca's father. He's going to share with her what he has come to do. Then in verses 49, jump down to verse 49. Now if you will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me, and if not tell me, that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. And Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing proceeds from the Lord. We cannot speak unto thee bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be thy master's son's wife, as the Lord has spoken. And it came to pass that when Abraham's servant heard their words, he worshipped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. And the servant brought forth jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment and gave them to Rebekah. And he gave also to her brother and to her mother precious things. So in receiving the blessing, in Rebekah receiving the blessing from Abraham's servant, it spilled over into her family. And so the Bible says in verse 54, they did eat and drink, he and the men that were with him, they tarried all night, they rose up in the morning, and he said, send me away unto my master. In verse 55, her brother and her mother said, let the damsel abide with us a few days, at the least ten. After that, she shall go. And he said unto them, hinder me not, seeing the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. They said, We will call the damsel and inquire at her mouth. And they called Rebekah and said unto her, Wilt thou go with this man? And she said, I will go. And they sent away Rebekah their sister and her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said unto her, Thou art our sister, be thou the mother of thousands of millions. And let thy seed possess the gate of those which hate them. And Rebekah arose and her damsels, and they rode upon the camels and followed the man. And the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now, we've skipped a lot. I'm going to read the rest of this in just a minute. But you need to know what's happening here. Throughout all of this, the servant has carefully related just enough information to Rebekah and her family to let them know who he is, who he serves, and what his purpose is. And he's very clear about the fact that his purpose is to secure a bride for the father's son. Now I'm going to say that one more time because we're slow and we don't always hear things the way we need to hear them. The servant understood that his primary responsibility was to secure a bride for the father's son. And in the midst of that, he's lavishing all these gifts on her and he's telling the story. And here as she's getting ready to go and they say, blessed be the mother of thousands of millions, this is more than just an old Middle Eastern blessing. There's somewhere in this story, somewhere in the midst of all that's taken place, of him meeting Rebecca, spending, the Bible tells us, all night talking to the men and the family in the house and all night sharing who he is and what he's come to do. Somewhere in the process of that, I am sure that he related to them the fact that his master's son had been given a great promise from God, which is why repeatedly even those in the house said, surely this thing is from the Lord. And he had related to them the fact that the son was the one through whom God was going to bless all the nations of the earth. We keep coming back to that. Genesis 21, 22, 23, 24, and even 25. Huddled in these these four or five chapters of Genesis is this repeated emphasis on the fact that, that God is going to bless the nations of the earth directly through the seed of Abraham, through Isaac, and his seed, and all the generations that would come after him. And we know that ultimately that was filled in the day that one specific seed of Abraham gave birth to a baby 
in a manger outside of Jerusalem and called his name Jesus. And so we continue in verse 62. Isaac came from the way of the well, for he dwelt in the south country. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field at the evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, the camels were coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she lighted off the camel. It Literally, she leapt off the camel. She leapt off the camel. She leapt off the camel. <laughs> I still can't leap, hallelujah. But isn't that interesting how we keep finding that leaping in the Bible? You've got to know when to leap, beloved. You've got to know there are just some things you've got to get excited about. Amen? And Isaac has been praying and waiting, and he looks and he sees the camels, and Isaac gets excited. And she says, who's that? And the servant says, that's him. And she, gets, she jumps off and here we go. This is it. It's fixing to happen. Amen. This is great. The Bible says, verse 65, she had said unto the servant, what man is this that walks in the field to meet us? And the servant said, it is my master. Therefore she took a veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all things that he had done. And Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and took Rebekah and she became his wife and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. And so now this chapter closes with the bride and the groom having come together. And at the end of that, this, this excitement, Isaac who's been praying and, and waiting, and Rebecca who, who, who's excited to see her groom and as the two come together. And, and now everything is fulfilled just as the father had intended. The servant has done his job, and the bride and the groom have come together. So let me share a couple of things, and then we'll get into this quickly. In verse 55, in the middle of this transaction, there's just a little bit of a hint of hesitation. Because her brother and her mother said, let her stay with us just a few more days. We're not ready to let her go. And, and there's the echoes of the world in that. If we were to take this story, and if we were to go ahead and bring it into the modern, if we were to think about this in today's standards, if we were to think about this, of, of the idea of bringing someone to Christ, and bringing them to the place where they understand what it means to be a part of the bride of Christ, any delay is too long to keep anyone from coming to Jesus. And so in verse 56, the servant says, hinder me not. Note that, hinder me not. And then in verse 61, it says that the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Whose way? The servant's way? Well, this was never the servant's journey. It was never about the servant. Whose way? The way of the father. He went the way the father had instructed him to get her back to her groom. And so in this instance, the servant is so close to his master that every step he takes, takes those going with him that much closer to his master. Now I'm going to say that one again because we don't always hear the way we need to hear. The servant was so close to his master that every step he took took everyone with him that much closer to his master. Beloved, I would ask this morning, how close are we to God? How close are we to Jesus? What journey are we on? The people in our lives that are traveling with us, what are we taking them? Or who are we taking them closer to? And so Isaac says, he says, uh, uh, count on this. Uh, he, he says in verse 65, he says, um, uh, this is... My master. Now, I want you, I want to, I'm going to read this again because I don't want us to miss this before we get to these things. She said unto the servant, What man is this that walks in the field to meet us? And the servant said, It is my master. Problem, up until this point, very clearly the servant's master was Abraham. 
But now Isaac is approaching. And she says, who is this? And he says, it's my master. Wait a minute. I thought the servant's master was the father. Well, get it, beloved. In order for the servant's master to be the father, the son must be his master also. Oh, isn't that good? Have you ever noticed that before? When, when the servant looked at Isaiah, and when it looked at Isaac, he said to Rebekah that that is my master. The son is as much my master as the father is. And you can count on it, beloved. The Bible is very clear. The Bible is very clear. Unless you know, uh, unless you know the son as your savior, you do not serve God the father as your master. The two go together. Jesus said in John 14, 9, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In John 10, 30, he said, I and my Father are one. And so, in that moment, she veils herself. And she puts that veil on herself, and she, that veil covers her until when? Until the groom removes the veil. So, here's a couple of things, quickly. Um, in verse 6, 7, it concludes with marriage. Beautiful picture. Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent, and he took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her, and Isaac was comforted. One of the most beautiful pictures in all of Scripture, one of the longest, or the longest chapter in the Bible, reserved to tell the story of how a man secured a bride, of the love between a husband and a wife, of the securing of a bride for the groom, for the son. And, and in the midst of this, it concludes with everything that happens with a the wedding. They come together, they're married, and they love one another, and specifically it says, he loves loved her. This woman who they just met and, and, and they're married and he loved her and he lavished her and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Now, I'm going to just hit this quickly and then we'll, we'll get into the book. This is all introduction. We're going to go quickly when we get the actual message. Amen. You got to get this before we can get the rest of this. Amen. I'm going to hit this and, 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 and I'm going to say this quickly and I don't, I don't care if it's politically correct. I don't care about that nonsense. I don't have time for that. Marriage is defined by God and it is meant to be a lavishing and ravishing moment between one man and one woman and for the rest of eternity, beloved. This picture here between an earthly man and an earthly woman is just a hint of the relationship that we will have for the rest of eternity between us and our groom. We are the bride of Christ and for the rest of eternity, the Son is going to love us in ways that you and I can't even begin to imagine. And so, uh, and, I, and this is in here, so there's an elementary student had to write a report. And, and he wrote a report on Ben Franklin. And this, is, this, is, this was his report. He said, Ben Franklin went to Philadelphia. Someone told him to go fly a kite. He got married and he discovered electricity. <laughs> Hallelujah. 25 years, I can tell you there's nothing more electrifying. Amen. Well, beloved, when we look at this, and, 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 I, and I'll be quick this morning. When we look at this chapter, I want to take this story. Now I want to bring it in. To, I, want to, I want to take this. If, 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 if we look at this and we think of a spiritual picture in this, there's seven things, and I want us to see them, and we'll see them quickly. Seven lessons we can learn from this passage. In Genesis 21, let me give you this. In Genesis 21, the long-promised, awaited, and expected son is supernaturally born. In Genesis 22... You have the transaction between a father and a son. 
and an incredible sacrifice on a mountain. And now in Genesis chapter 24, a servant is sent out to secure a bride for the son of the father. And the Bible is clear. Jesus Christ was promised, promised from eternity past. There came a day 2,000 years ago when God the Father offered up his son upon Calvary. And in that moment, Jesus was not spared. Not like Isaac who was spared. Jesus was the lamb that God had promised. The lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Jesus suffered, bled, died, went into that grave. Three days later, he rose and he ascended up to heaven. And for 2,000 years, the Holy Spirit of God has been drawing men and women to Jesus and forming and shaping the bride of Christ. And if you are here this morning, beloved, and you are a child of God, if you and I are together, we are here and we are saved, we are a part of that bride. Amen. Now, with that in mind, there's seven things I want us to look at. Number one, the anonymity of the servant. I want you to think about the fact that in this passage, the servant is never named. We're never given the name of the servant. He's seen repeatedly, but never named. Now, we're told in Genesis chapter 15 that Abraham's chief steward, the steward of his house, his chief steward was Eliezer. And there's no reason to believe that this isn't Eliezer, but it's interesting that he's not named in this passage because he's irrelevant to the story. It's not about him. It's not about him. It's about a bride and a groom. It's about a servant serving the father to secure a bride for the son. So his name is not important. Amen. The anonymity of the servant. Why is his name not mentioned here? Beloved, you and I need to be careful because you and I understand that we serve God today. We are the bride of Christ, but we are also the servants of the Father. And everything we do for God, we must do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. But we need to make sure, beloved, that we don't become those people who get so excited about the Holy Spirit that we forget to actually mention the name of Jesus. Amen. There are a whole lot of people who will tell you and celebrate a moment that they had in the Spirit, but when you listen to them or talk to them or they tell their story in their life, they rarely, if ever, mention Jesus. And the Holy Spirit's job, beloved, is to help you and I be faithful representatives of Christ to a lost and dying world. In John 15, 26, Jesus said this, the Holy Spirit will testify of me. In John 16, 13, he says, the Holy Spirit will not speak of himself, but the Holy Spirit will speak of me. Beloved, everything that God wants to do in your life and mine through the power of the Holy Spirit is to help us talk more about Jesus and not less. It's to help us make much of Jesus and not less. Amen? That's the Holy Spirit's job. And if you look on TV and you hear some of these preachers and they're talking about the Holy Spirit and all the things the Holy Spirit can do and the things they're doing and the power of the Holy Spirit, and I have watched men go on for 45 minutes, an hour, an hour and a half, and talk about the Holy Spirit and never once mention the name of Jesus, never once invite anyone to Christ, then I can tell you that if I were to tell you the name of those men, you would know the name of those men, but you would know the name of those men more than you know the name of Jesus. Beloved, that is not not what the Holy Spirit does. That is the flesh all day long. The servant does not make much of himself. He makes much of his master. And you and I have to make much of Jesus. Amen. Number two, the authority of the servant. Not just the anonymity, but the authority of the servant. A steward is a person who is entrusted with someone else's estate. Someone else's interest, someone else's property, someone else's goods. They're assigned the management of those things for the interest of the owner. 
And beloved, we're told in the New Testament that the Holy Spirit is the Father's administrator, the chief steward of everything that belongs to the Holy Trinity. Jesus referred to him as another comforter. And if you know your study, if you know this, the word in the Greek there is paraclete. It literally means an equal comforter, one just like me. This is what the Bible says, that even though Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father, that the Holy Spirit is the agent of God who works in the hearts and lives of men on this earth, and to have the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in your life is just as real and powerful as if Jesus himself were standing right here in front of us. has all authority. Oh, but it gets better than that. Because we have the Holy Spirit living in us, we have all the authority of the Holy Spirit before God Almighty to go into this world and preach the gospel and tell men and women about the beauty of Jesus. See, in this story, the servant had one job, to go and, sh- and, find, a- and find a woman and sell her on a man she'd never met. But the servant knew him intimately, knew the father, knew the son, grew up. He was very familiar. And his job was to go and and speak with all the authority of the one that he represented. And so if anything went wrong here, I mean, imagine if the servant had showed up and he he was dressed like a slob or didn't get, hey, you want to go meet this guy? I'm looking for a bride for my master's son. His name's Isaac. You might like him. You might not. I don't know. I don't care. Are you interested? It's not how it went, is it? See, he began by arriving with a load of gifts, and he, and he, and he began to say, what is this? Well, I'm looking for a bride. Well, interest peaked. <laughs> Amen. But then he begins to tell the stories. He begins to relate the promises. He begins to relate the blessings. And she begins to long for and fall in love with a man she hasn't even seen yet, which is why Jesus said, blessed are those who have believed and yet not seen. Amen. And so the authority of the servant, he had all authority. He, 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 and, and, and someone, a preacher once said this, you need to think of, this, think of it this way. Um, um, both the Son and the Holy Spirit are working on behalf of the Father to reconcile sinful man. They have authority. We have authority. So you have two servants working to secure a place for us in heaven. You have the serving Son and the serving Spirit. And beloved, if you want to wrap your mind around something, spend the rest of your life trying to wrap your mind around this, picture this, that in the Bible, God the Father is a servant. God the Son is a servant. God the Holy Spirit is a servant. When you read the Bible, it's really the story of the Trinity trying to outserve each other and outserve us. The Son of Man came not, what? To be served, but to serve. Wait, how much, I, I, that's, that's a different sermon. I got to, how different would our marriages be if husband and wife were trying to outserve each other instead of expecting the, well, that's a sermon from, amen. They are working the authority of the servant. He was like a lawyer. You picture the, what's the word? Um, he, had, he, had been given, he had been given all the rights of the father to go and represent him and secure a bride for the son. He had power of attorney. Amen. And you and I, beloved, have been given all authority. Matthew 28, all authority has been given to Jesus, and he gave it to us to go and preach the gospel to every creature. The servant in Genesis 24 was commissioned by the father but everything he was doing was really for the son. So in verse 65, the servant says, who is that? And he says, that's my master. When the world looks at us, 
Can we say boldly and unashamedly, point to Jesus and say of Jesus, he is my master. Number three, the attitude of the servant. Not just, this is important now, because this ties into his anonymity. We see that already in the first thing. Not, not, only, was he, not only was his name never mentioned, because it wasn't about him, it was, about, it was never about him, it was about the bride and the groom, it was about doing the job the father had called him to do. But notice the attitude of the servant. He absolutely lived for his master. Everything he did was for his master. All he wanted to do was please his master. Everything, all of his walk was for his master. All of his words, all of his will. Uh, beloved, when you and I are content in our anonymity, we will be confident in our authority and correct in our attitude. When you and I understand that it's not about us, it's about Jesus, then and only then can we show the world just how great and glorious God is. We spend all of our time trying to sell people on us, but there's nothing in us that's of value apart from Jesus. So we got to get out of the way long enough to show them who Jesus is and what he's worth and what he's done for them. And when we do that, we don't matter. Jesus is the one who died for the sins of the world, not me. Jesus died for you. And so the attitude of the servant was to be absolutely content and humble and say, and, and by the way, humility is, is becoming a long lost virtue. We have no reason to be humble until we recognize who and what is far greater than ourselves. And as long as we're wrestling with humility in our li own life, it's because there's something in us that thinks maybe God needs our help. <laughs> something we need to do. As long as we strive to make a name for ourselves, we cannot make a name for Jesus. See, at no point in this story does the servant ever demand recognition for completing his task. No point in the, you get to the end, and see Isaac, they come, they go into marriage, the chapter ends. There's not another verse added in there where the servant says, hey, I did my job, don't I get a bonus? What about me? Can I give my name now? Because the servant understood that something bigger and more glorious had happened, and he was able to step back out of the way. And I'm going to give this to you, beloved, and I'm going to tell you, I can't prove it, I can't prove it, but I think I know enough about the Bible that the servant's delight was in knowing that he'd fulfilled the father's will and that the son now has a bride. Why, did he, why do I think that, that, that the servant here didn't need to be known, didn't need to, didn't need to receive reward, didn't need to draw attention to himself? Because I think he knew the promise given to Abraham. I think he knew how important the son was. I think he knew how important it was that the son have a bride. And I think he knew, beloved, I think the servant knew and understood that eternity hung in the balance and when he saw that and was able to be a part of that he was able to step back and say I don't need to make much of me right now I get to just sit back and watch what happens as the result of what God has done and beloved we look at the world today and we need to know that God is still moving in the hearts and lives of men number four the assignment of the servant very simply secure a bride for the father's son that was your job go get a bride all the details were laid out by the father the bride would be the father's gift to his son and he spared no expense the, the servant operated under the sovereignty of the father just as abraham trusted god and offered isaac now the servant trusts abraham he makes no addition to the process he takes nothing away what a great lesson, amen? He doesn't add anything to the process. He doesn't take anything away. He just simply goes and represents the father and the son to the prospective bride. And if you want to dig into this, dig into this later. Ephesians chapter 1 tells all of the inheritance that we have in Christ. It comes only through the grace of God as we receive the son. That's Ephesians chapter 1. That's the assignment of the servant. Beloved, your assignment and mine 
is really simple. It's to show the world that there is no greater blessing than being a part of the bride of Christ. There is no greater joy than knowing that Jesus died for you. There is nothing greater. You don't need anything other in your life. We don't need anything more in our life than to know that God is our Father, Jesus is our Savior, and the church is the bride of Christ, and there are blessings and riches beyond measure secured for us, not just in this life, but for all of eternity to come. What are we settling for and selling for us? C.S. Lewis said, C.S. Lewis said that men who are confronted with Jesus today are like inner city urchins, good old English word, who are content to sit and play in mud puddles by a sewer because they have no idea how beautiful it would be to play in the sand on the beach. And beloved, that's what the devil does. He does that all day long. He tells lost men, he tells this world, he tells every man, woman, and child that will listen to him that you're better off playing in the mud puddles of this broken, sinful world than you are playing on the shores of the eternal God. And beloved, our job is to show them, get out of the mud puddle. You got to come and see. You got to know. And we get to tell them what God has done for us. And we get to pull them out of that and take them to those places. Number five, the allurement of the servant. He engaged in a predetermined transaction. Predetermined, that's right, it was predetermined. In verse chapter 14, he refers to her, I love this, she that you have appointed, she that thou hast appointed. He says to God, show me the woman that you have appointed. It literally is the word appointed out. The Hebrew is ex elexita. And the Greek equivalent of called out is the word elect. It's absolutely amazing to me. That, that, that in the New Testament, when it talks about we are the chosen people of God, we are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Here in Genesis chapter 24, the servant says, show me the woman that you have elected. You want to split a room full of preachers a hundred different ways? Start a conversation on election. But beloved, it's in the Bible. We love him because he first loved us. And make no mistake about it, the only reason anyone ever chooses Jesus is because God chose us first. If the servant had not been sent to share the message and extend the invitation to the bride, there would be no marriage. So we look at the world and we wonder what's wrong with the world. I'll tell you what's wrong with the world. We aren't inviting people enough. We aren't celebrating Jesus enough. We're not telling people, going out and finding those that God has chosen, that God loves, that Jesus died for, and telling them, you need to come and you need to meet this man that I can't even begin to describe. When was the last time the church got that excited about Jesus? When was the last time any of us? Oh, it's so rich and full, and i got to move quickly here. Oh, goodness gracious. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 tells us that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. You'll spend the rest of your life, and as I said, depending on who you talk to, you'll get a hundred different explanations on what that means. But I'll give you this quickly, and I'll move on. A Piper Cub, little airplane, a Piper Cub, only needs a hundred yards to take off. One football field, it's gone. A DC-10 needs a quarter of a mile. See, the bigger, the 
bigger the plane, the bigger the message, the bigger the, the longer. Well, how long is God's runway? Well, I'll tell you, it started before the creation of the world. God has been launching this and continues to launch this even today after thousands of years, many winning men and women to Jesus. So um, uh, now I'm going to give this to you quickly. Here's a little Greek study. The verb, I love this, because I'm going to get this. This is so good, cause, and I'm going to close with this. I'm going to try and get this. I hope you get this. If you don't get this, say, say, say that's over my head. Uh, all I can tell you is, is, is lift your head. I, I don't know. Amen. I'm going to do the best I can. Amen. All right, in the Greek, there's three ways that a Greek verb can be, can be used. All right? The first way is, 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 is um, an active voice. And an active voice verb means I act through the verb. So an active voice verb is I ran. That's pretty easy. You got that? Active voice verb, I ran. A passive voice verb means I am acted upon through the verb. I was run over. Okay? All right? Active voice, I ran. Passive voice, I was run over. A middle voice verb encompasses the two so that the action goes out and comes back upon the one doing the action. I ran over myself. Now there's some... Beep theology for you right there, beloved. Amen. I ran. I was run over. I ran over myself. But here's the beauty. This is why I share this with you, beloved, because God acts in the middle voice. Everything he does, he starts the action that goes out, takes place, and brings the results of that action back upon himself. And God started the plan of salvation. Everything Jesus did was so that he could act and everything that's picked up in that act comes back to the Father, which is one of the reasons why I say to you and will say until Jesus comes back and, and, and he can tell you that I'm right. I will tell you that if you are a child of God and you are in this action, God is in the process of drawing us home and there is nothing that is going to be able to stop that because it is God who does the work. If you are a child of God, you will always be a child of God. If you are saved, you will always be saved. It doesn't have anything to do with us. It has everything to do with what Jesus did on the cross. Amen. Now, a couple of things quickly. Isaac passed through the experience of the sacrifice before Rebecca ever knew him. The servant left to find her while she was still ignorant of Isaac's existence. The servant initiated the contact. The servant induced her into coming with him. The servant, and, 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 and four times the servant wrestled, what if she doesn't want to go? What if she doesn't want to go? Because here's the beauty of this, beloved. As beautiful and wonderful as, as God is, as beautiful and wonderful as Jesus is, and all that he's done, and even when we do everything right and we show the world who Jesus is, do you understand that people still have to make a choice? And there are still people in this world who, when they are confronted with the beauty of Jesus, insist on saying no. And the servant wrestled with that. So what did he offer? What did he do? And I say all that because this. You and I can't make anybody come to Jesus. We can't do it. But, beloved, we shouldn't live in such a way that it makes it harder for people to come to him. We ought to live so it makes it easier for them to come to him. Amen? So with that in mind, I'll give you these things quickly, and then I'll stop. There's a couple other things, but we're not going to get to them. What did the servant offer? What did the servant bring to the table? What did he do? What was it about him? What, what, how did, what was his part? Did he just show up and say, hey, you come with me? No, we've already seen that. You go back and read this chapter. And I don't know. I don't know what trans... I wish we had more details. I wish I would like to know what he said because that had been more ammo for me to say the amen, to go to the world. But here's what we know, that, that they spent all day and all night talking about the Father and the Son. So that by the time the next day rolled around, 
let's go. Amen. Now, what did the servant bring to the table? Number one, his own winsomeness. That's a, that's a good old word. Do you hear that word anymore? Somebody, some of you, winsome. We, handsome, attractive. I like the word winsome. Winsome is, winsome is something I have never been about the grace of God. Amen. Maybe one day. Winsome. Winsome is that person that when you meet them, there's not just, it's not just how they look, but it's how they carry themselves. It's how they talk to people. And you're just drawn into them. And you're like, man, I would like to spend more time with that person. There, there's, it's the person. Now, now the struggle, and, and, and I say all that. I've never been that person, but if I know my Bible, I've got to be more of that person every day if I'm going to be a faithful servant. And beloved, you and I have the privilege. We have the joy. We have the great honor of doing everything we can to, so that when the world gets around us, now catch this, that when they see us, when they do find us winsome, they find that everything that's attractive about us, everything that's desirable about us comes from the fact that Jesus Christ is the Lord of our life. Not because of how I look on the outside, hallelujah, but because of how we look on the inside. Because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. You see, the servant drew the family in and ultimately drew Rebecca in because he was confident in the Father's promise. Let me tell you, there is nobody else in the world. I can imagine him. Let me tell you, Rebecca, there is nobody else in the world that you would rather than this man. You just gotta come with. You just gotta meet. You just gotta say yes, and your world will change. He offered his own winsomeness. He offered his master's wealth. He sold her. He came with ten camels loaded with gifts. What do we bring to the world? What do we show the world? He 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 offered his own words, carefully crafted and chosen based on what he knew about the Father, and that's the dilemma, beloved. This is where I close this morning. How wealthy do you think you really are? How well do you know your heavenly Father? How much do we really trust and believe in the goodness of God to us? How winsome are we to a world that says all manner of sin is more attractive than anything that God can offer? No, beloved, when the devil says, look at this, and he's pointing down at a cesspool and a mud puddle, we need to point to the stars and say, no, 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 look at that. You want to dwell in that? Or do you want to know that the expanse of eternity and all the universe is waiting for you when you give your life to Jesus Christ? There's more here. I'll give it to you in the devotions this week. Beloved, we have a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful privilege because here's the catch. We stand this morning, if you're here and you're saved and you're a child of God, you are not just part of the bride, but you and I are also servants. See, I stand before you this morning in two roles. I am part of the bride of Christ. I serve the Son. I, I, I'm in love with the Son. The Son is in love with me. I'm a part of the bride of Christ, but I also serve the Father. And beloved, if you're a child of God, you're a part of the bride of Christ, but you also serve the Father. And here's the thing, beloved, the, the bride is still being formed. God's not done. Our work isn't done. There are still people who need to know who Jesus is and that he died for them. 
There is still a world that needs to know that there's nothing better, more wonderful, nothing more amazing than, than the price that Jesus paid. When you look at all the religions of the world, when you took at everything, when, when, you, when you look at it and really take a long look at everything that philosophy offers and everything that intelligence and knowledge and all of these things and politics and everything the world tries to magnify, and you take all that and you heap it up, beloved, when you put all that together and you heap it up, when you stand Jesus beside it, he should tower above all those things, which is why Jesus said, just as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And when Jesus is lifted up, the Bible says, I will draw all men to me. You want to change this world? We need to make Jesus higher than we've made him ever before. And make no mistake about it, he's Jesus, he's the Son of God. He's seated at the Father's right hand. And we, need, we, we, can't, we can't put him higher, he's already up there. We need to stop living like he's less than anything this world has to offer. Did you get that, amen? See, in this story, the servant's joy came in securing a bride for the Son and serving the Father. When your greatest joy and my greatest joy in life come from securing a bride for Jesus, from seeing men and women come to faith in Jesus, knowing that we've pleased the God, then nothing else in this world will matter. Amen? Now I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning.